Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. Who am I? The Goldim Sugar. <laughs> 916 633 Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 5. It felt good to be back home. Miami had treated him well, but there was nothing like having his own kingdom. Flint was where he was bred, and as Zaire cruised the city blocks, he realized he never wanted to leave. He felt the buzz of his cell phone, and when he looked at the screen, Breeze's name appeared. He sighed and sent her to voicemail. He had to stay focused. He was about to sell 10 bricks to a first-time customer, and he needed to be aware. It's a trap. Distractions were deadly in this game, and Breeze's unhappiness was the biggest one. She wasn't adjusting well to her new surroundings. After Lena's murder, she was paranoid all the time and she wanted him at her side 24-7. He loved her, but he wasn't in the babysitting business. He had to move around. He had jumped into Flint's drug scene full force and it was important that he made his presence known. Hustling in Miami and hustling at home were two different feelings. In Flint, he was king. He tried to stay busy to keep himself from dwelling on the fact that the cartel had fallen apart. They had all dispersed. Carter was tucked away in the mountains in Colorado, and Monroe had gone back to Miami. Zaire was holding things down in Flint, but there was no one around he could trust. He pulled up to a neighborhood park. It was deserted. Nightfall and the freezing winter hawk ensured that not a soul was in sight. Zaire peered out of his window and checked his rear view as he slid his burner in his waist. He shined his headlights and spotted a black Camaro. His buyer stepped out of the car. Stepping out into the light, he pulled the collar to his Montclair jacket up and tried to duck his head low to escape the biting wind. It was so cold that white clouds floated from his mouth with every breath he took. dun 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 every breath he took. This nigga shook. Looking out for cops, he should probably stop doing random dope deals. Adrenaline coursed through him. Not from fear, but from caution. Every time he made a drop, he knew it was at stake. This wasn't Miami. He was back in the murder capital. And in Flint, Michigan, good niggas died young every day. Good niggas die young every day, B. What up, man? You got your paper together? Zaire asked. Yeah, how many you got? The dude replied as he tucked his hands in his pockets. I got the ten you asked for. 
Fuck you mean? Where's the bread? Zaire responded, all business as he looked left, then right before focusing his gaze back on the man in front of him. I'm saying, I might want more if the quality's on point. We can go to your spot real quick. I'm trying to spend heavy. This nigga's a fed. You got a nigga out here freezing his balls off. I can give you the money for the 10, and then we can ride to the other ones and do the business right there. I want 30 now, the guy said. Go to my spot, Zaire scoffed. Zaire had been around the block a time or two. This dude had no intention of buying anything. He was trying to find out where his stash was. Zaire had a low tolerance for games. He smelled a setup. You want 30? Zaire asked. He stepped closer to the man, casually, until suddenly, shit wasn't so casual. Nigga, do I look like a fucking clown-ass nigga out here? Zaire asked. He grabbed the man by his neck and drew his pistol in one swift motion. The dude's hand shot up in defense, and Zaire instantly curled his trigger finger. He blew a nickel-sized hole through his palm. Ah! The man hollered as he instantly gripped his hand in pain. Don't fucking play with me. You quarter-ounce buying-ass nigga. Now all of a sudden you trying to cop weight? You never seen 30 your whole life, Zaire chastised as he hit the man brutally with the butt of his gun, splitting his nose wide open. Nah, big homie, it ain't like that, the man pleaded, but Zaire followed up with another vicious blow. This hit sent him to the ground. Don't big homie me. You older than me, nigga, Zaire shot with a smirk. He leaned over and grabbed the man by his collar and placed the gun at point-blank range against his forehead. Who else is in on it? Zaire knew the dude couldn't have had the balls to rob him on his own. There had to be another snake lurking in the grass. It ain't like that, I swear, fam, the man hollered. Zaire could see the fear in the man's eyes, but he had no sympathy. In Miami, he had love, respect. They had their enemies, no doubt, but he never had to worry about getting robbed by someone he did business with down there. His hometown was an entirely different ball game. It was a city full of wolves and they were starving. A come-up was a come-up. It didn't matter if a nigga had to kill his man in order to sit at the table. Niggas just wanted to eat. If the opportunity was lucrative enough, even the best of friend could turn foe. Zaire threw him back to the ground. He was a pleading, bleeding, blubbering mess because they both knew what Zaire had to do. Niggas always forcing my hand, Zaire said to himself. He aimed his pistol and fired. Two to the chest. Me and my homies, this is me, this is me. Me and my homies used to play this stupid ass game called Two to the Chest. We also called it BB Bridges. BB Bridges was a game for bullies. BB Bridges was a game where if you said a word with the letter B in it, you got beat up until you had to stop, until you said BB Bridges, which was dumb because we grew up in a neighborhood full of bloods and they truly wanted you to say everything with a B in it instead of a C. So instead of saying chocolate chip cookie, you had to say baklet bit bookie. So for us to get punched for doing the right thing in the neighborhood was just fucked up. But niggas would just steal you in your chest and they bow, 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 bow till you said BB Bridges, BB Bridges. And then some of the niggas who, again, bullies, would be like, I didn't hear you when you said it. Bow, 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 bow. Waka flocka, waka flocka. Because, you know, that's what that nigga say. Bow, bow, bow. And so, yeah, fuck BB Bridges. I never introduced it to my kids. And they still learn Punch Buggy. I don't know where they got that shit from. I didn't even tell them about Punch Buggy. And then all of a sudden, one day, I'm just getting smacked in the back of the head. Heavy-handed niggas, too. I taught them well. BB Bridges, nigga. Nah, we playing Punch Buggy. What the fuck is BB Bridges? Don't worry about it. He wiped the fingerprints off the gun with his shirt and then retreated to his car. 
pulling away from the scene. He'd have to make an extra stop to Devil's Lake in order to toss a gun. It was infamous for its depth. Most said it was bottomless, but he was pretty sure there was plenty of dirty burners and bottoms somewhere down there. He was simply adding to the pile. Sweat beaded on Breeze's forehead as she threw up in the toilet. Oh my God, she whispered as she laid her cheek flat on the seat in desperation. That is desperation. The point where you got to put your face on a shit seat? Because it's cool? Oh my God. They're, oh my God. Oh, just thinking about it. The queasiness that had taken over her was unbearable. She couldn't hold down anything. She was miserable. What the hell is wrong with me, she whined. I was fine last night. We ate dinner. We made love. Her thoughts stopped abruptly and she sat up. She gasped. She placed her hand over her mouth. Struggling to her feet, she rushed into the master bedroom and grabbed her phone off the bed. She quickly opened her calendar and when she realized what date it was, her mouth fell agape. Oh my God, she said again, this time in disbelief. Am I pregnant? She thought. Her heart sank into her stomach. She didn't know how to feel. She felt the obvious elation, but so many other emotions coursed through her. Is this real? Is this what I want? Is this what he wants? Are we ready? Do I want to bring children into this mafia lifestyle? I don't know, but it's kind of too late for you to be asking these questions because as soon as the nigga stepped off the plane from jail, you were like, I want you to put a baby in me. So guess what, sis? I think he did a good job. She had all questions, no answers. She loved Zaire with everything in her, but she had come up in the cartel. She had witnessed both of her parents' lives being taken at the hands of the cartel's enemies. Would history repeat itself? The last thing she wanted was to bring children into destruction, but Lord knew she loved Zaire. The thought of his seed growing inside of her womb brought tears to her eyes. She was overwhelmed. For the first time, she was grateful that Zaire hadn't come home all night. She wanted to make sure she was pregnant before she got him excited for nothing. I need to get a test, she thought, and find a doctor here and get a prenatal vitamin. I hope I don't miscarry. I think you aren't supposed to tell anybody until 20 weeks. Or is it 12? One step at a time, B, she whispered to herself. She was the type to get worked up. She already had nursery themes floating around in her head. First, let's make sure there's even a baby cooking in there, she said aloud as she placed her hand on her flat stomach. Breeze went to the bathroom and gargled before grabbing her handbag to head out the door. She was halfway down to her car before she realized she had misplaced her keys. Damn it, she whispered. She rifled through her purse in frustration to no avail. Zaire pulled up behind her and she smiled. Don't even say anything until you have a positive test in your hand, she reminded herself. When he stepped out of the car, she smiled and ran up to him. Wrapping her arms around his neck, she leaned back to study his stern features. He was tense, stressed, and her smile faded as she asked, What's wrong? Nothing to worry your pretty head about, B, he replied. My bad on staying out all night. I wasn't on no fuck shit. It was necessary. She placed a finger to his lips to silence him. I don't need an explanation, Zai. I trust you. If you could have made it home to me, I know you would have. She could see her love easing him soothing him. She prided herself on being the solace away from the streets, especially these Flint streets. They were different, colder, more ruthless in sunny Miami. I was about to make a quick run. You know me. I can never find my keys, she said with a shrug. Zaire held up his own. 
He had the extra to her car on his ring. She grabbed him. His cell phone rang and he answered it. Money, what's good? He said as he held up a finger to halt her momentarily and began to walk towards the house. You gotta let me out, she whispered, but he kept walking. She blew out an exasperated breath. I just need to pee on a stick, she said with a laugh. She eyed Zaire's shiny foreign car, the one he'd never let her drive, and she smiled wickedly. I'll just take his. She bout to get shot. She hopped in the car and peeled off. She drove for 10 minutes before he even figured out she was gone. She smiled when she heard her cell phone ring. She reached over with one hand and rummaged through her bag, taking her eyes off the road momentarily. Oh no, she about to get arrested for the drugs in her car. She swerved just as she wrapped her hand around the phone. Heep heep. The honk of a car horn caused her to fishtail slightly until she straightened her will. She answered the phone, but the red and blue lights flashing in her rearview mirror caused her to frown. If it had been one squad car behind her, she wouldn't have been alarmed. But the five unmarked black SUVs that trailed her let her know they were feds. Zaire, she whispered, there are five unmarked cars behind me. Where are you? he asked frantically. I'm a few miles from the house, on Saginaw Street. I was headed to the pharmacy, she said. Zaire, should I pull over? she said. Yes, I'm coming, B. Ask for your attorney. Don't say shit else, he instructed. My attorney? Zaire, what's happening right now, she asked. Just listen to me, Breeze. Pull over. Don't resist, baby. I'm on my way. Click. Zaire located Breeze's keys with ease. Breeze's keys with ease. Breeze's keys with ease. Breeze's keys with ease. Breeze. It just sounds like a, a bad rap song, so I'm not even going to contribute to it. Picking them up out of the same place she always misplaced them in. He found himself doing 100 miles per hour until he saw the federal agents pulling Breeze from the car. It was now a scene. There were agents in blue jackets in addition to local police. He was enraged. They had Breeze's face pushed into the trunk of one of the squad cars, manhandling her. He pulled up recklessly and barely threw the car in the park before hopping out. Sir, back away. You can't... That's my fucking wife, Zaire shouted as he pushed past the officer. Zaire, Breeze shouted, hearing his voice. Ah! She hollered as they put the cuffs on too tight. Don't touch her, Zaire shouted with a look of malice in his eyes. I will kill you. I don't think you should say that to cops. Especially not a black dude. By yourself. With federals around you. I don't think that's something you say. I will kill you. Me first. Black, black, black. Zaire never lost his cool. But seeing his wife being roughhouse had him seeing red. Mr. Rich, one of the monkeys in suits, called out. You're under arrest for the intent to distribute narcotics for possession of narcotics. You have the right to remain silent. Zaire stood toe-to-toe with the agent reading him his rights as another officer put him in metal bracelets. He gritted his teeth as his jaws flexed and his nostrils flared. You sure you want to play it like this? He asked. Play like, nigga, you got drugs. And And you're drunk. Mr. Rich, I'm playing it by the law, the agent said. The agent turned towards the police car that was pulling away with a stoic breeze inside. This is the warrant to search the vehicle your wife was driving. We both know what we're going to find. As a matter of fact, let's go take a look. They led Zaire to the trunk of his car. The world seemed to be moving in slow motion as they popped it. Damn, Zaire thought. His stomach was in knots, but his face was unrevealing. 
kid made a monumental mistake. That's right, because you probably killed an undercover cop. Mm, that's why he wanted to go back to your spot. They were the same bricks that he was supposed to trade off the night before. He hadn't meant for Breeze to take off in his car before he had taken them out. I could take that time. It's nothing. Do whatever you have to do, Zaire said arrogantly. Oh, I believe you, the agent replied. But the question is, can your dainty little wife do the time for your crimes? That's who we're going after. Daughter of the infamous Miami kingpin Carter Diamond found with drugs in the car. The jury will convict her off her family history alone. Zaire shot a venomous look at the agent. Get him out of here. Hold on, I'm going to say that again. I, I didn't say that the way that they said it. Get him out of here! Yeah. The cop dragged him by his elbow towards a waiting squad car. Zaire remained collected on the outside, but appearances could be deceiving. The inner turmoil he felt crippled him. The last thing he wanted was for Breeze to take the fall behind his actions. He couldn't let her. He wouldn't let her. How could I be so stupid, he thought. He knew better, riding around with product in the car. In Miami, he had people for that. He never even touched it down there, but he didn't have his crew around him. Every shooter he had on deck now felt foreign. He trusted no one, which meant he was playing all roles in order to build his own organization. Zaire had overextended himself. He had been sloppy, and now Breeze was wrapped up in the consequences of it all. I want my lawyer, Breeze stated, trying to stay strong as the officer on duty passed by the cell. She had told herself she wouldn't say anything, not one word, but that was 48 hours ago. She had been locked up in the county bullpen for two days, and she didn't know how much more of this she could take. She hadn't slept, and she refused to eat the stale bread and moldy meat sandwiches the officers passed out once a day. Breeze felt like her world was ending. Where's Zaire? Where's my lawyer? Why am I still here, she wondered. The officer continued to walk by the cell, blatantly ignoring her. Hey, I know you hear me. What's happening? I have rights. I want my attorney now, she shouted. Sit down and be quiet, the officer said sternly as he pointed through the unbreakable glass towards the dirty concrete slabs. Breeze turned reluctantly as she peered around at the women snickering behind her. It was clear she didn't belong there. Even rushing out in her haste, she had thrown on an ensemble worth almost a thousand dollars. She looked privileged, sheltered, spoiled even. The women looked at her like fresh meat, but little did they know her affiliation alone was more gangster than their entire street resume. She walked over to the nearest seat and removed her Gucci poncho and placed it down before sitting. She leaned over and placed her face in her hands as she willed the tears that burned her eyes not to fall. Minutes felt like hours, hours like days. The daunting weight was torturing itself. She had no idea what she was even waiting for. What was she being charged with? What did they think they had on her that warranted this type of detainment? Was this about Zaire? Her brothers? Where the hell were they? Why was she, the most innocent of them all, sitting in a jail right now? She sat up and swept her hair out of her face, blowing out an exasperated breath. Before she could find answers to her questions, the same asshole officer who had been ignoring her for days stepped inside. Breeze Rich, let's go, he announced. About time, she muttered as she snatched up her poncho and followed the officer out of the bullpen. She was greeted by a Spanish beauty. She was carrying a Chanel briefcase to match her Chanel ensemble. Her hair was pinned to the back in sophistication. Hello, Miss Rich. 
I'm Cynthia Sanchez. I'm your attorney. My attorney? Breeze questioned. Yeah, you were just shouting for an attorney, nigga. This is your attorney. Just nod. Your husband, Zaire, retained my services, she explained. He's waiting for you outside. You can collect your things and I'll take you to him. Breeze's mind spun as she signed paperwork. The police officer returned her handbag and driver's license. You're free to go, he said gruffly. That's all, she asked, looking at her new beauty of an attorney. Just like that? Just like that, Miss Sanchez replied. Breeze walked out of the building, stunned but grateful to be going home. Zaire sat curbside, leaning against a black SUV, arms folded across his chest. When she saw him, she couldn't help but run towards him. He stepped away from the car and picked her up and she threw her arms around him. I'm so sorry, B, he whispered as he appreciated her presence. Even after two days of rotting in a cell, she had her own lovely scent. His strong arms around her waist made all of her worries melt away. In the safety of his embrace, she finally let her tears rain down. What's going on, Zai? she asked. Nothing I can't handle, Miss Rich, the woman interrupted. I'm the best defense attorney in the Midwest. Apparently, local and federal entities have high incentive to bring down you and your affiliates. It's my job to see that they fail. Don't worry, Breeze. I got us. I got you. This law blow over. Let me take you home, he said. She nodded and slid into the car as he opened the door for her. Zaire turned to Sanchez. She will be okay, Mr. Rich. So will you. Just let me do my job, she assured. Zaire was solemn, serious, tormented as he nodded his head before running his hand over his face. He knew that getting them out of this wouldn't be as easy as Miss Sanchez tried to make it seem. He had gotten them in hot water. Now he had to go to great lengths to get them out. He had to go see Carter, whether he liked it or not. He'd have to sacrifice his pride, his code, his manhood in order to right this wrong. It was the only way to save Breeze. What? Like, why are they talking like they got funk or something? Like, you gotta go see Carter. So what? Chapter 6. Carter sat. He sat so still that even he questioned whether his heart was still beating. But the steady pulse in his own ear told him that he was still here. Still alive. Still breathing. Still existing. He counted his breaths. He had never really marveled at the wonder of life before. He had never really realized how blessed he was to take each breath. Because before... They didn't hurt. Now, as he sat staring into the burning fire, he felt the pain of every single inhale and every single exhale. That ominous, empty feeling that came from losing his only son. It was unbearable. It ripped through him like bullets, and every time he breathed, he thought of how CJ no longer could. The empty bottle of Louis that sat at his feet wasn't enough to mask his torment. If anything, it intensified it. He wasn't a man who liked to lose control. He didn't normally drink in excess or smoke or hinder his mental in any way, but he was searching for any relief from the agony. He was angry, and he wanted to point the blame solely at Mia Moore, but he had to accept responsibility for his actions as well. They both had led to this. He hated her and loved her at the same time. He couldn't imagine her hurt. He couldn't consider her because he was drowning his own emotions. Carter wasn't naive to the fact that he loved her. He always would. He knew that if she were there with him, grieving with him, going through the emotions with him, that would be easier. He didn't deserve easy, however. Neither did she. 
They had to feel the magnitude of this time in their lives. They had to survive it without the intensity that their love would bring to the moment. They had to hurt. It was the punishment for not protecting their seed. Now they can never be. He couldn't even look at her. The line between love and hate was so faint that he would cross it without trying. The gun that he gripped in his palm was the only thing he could rely on to end his suffering. He had been holding it so tightly that his fingers felt numb. He felt his jaw quiver from the flood of sorrow that overwhelmed him, and he clenched his teeth to stop himself from losing it. He hadn't cried. He had fought the urge to. He was supposed to be strong. He was supposed to stand tall. He had survived so much. The death of his mother, the streets, the Haitians, Moore's disappearance from his life years ago. All those things that formed the fire that he was forged from. He was boss. He was untouchable. Only he had been touched. He had given his enemies a way to touch him as soon as he had planted his seed inside of the woman he loved. If he was truthful with himself, he had developed a weakness the day he had met me and more. To create a little person who was made up of him plus her was perfection. It was love in its purest form. And losing that had destroyed him. These breaths that ached in his soul no longer felt worth it. He lifted the gun slightly and then placed it back on his thigh, his hand never leaving it. He gritted his teeth, lifted the gun, tears filling his eyes. He didn't blink as he brought the weapon to his temple. Those painful breaths had stopped. He realized he was holding it. The weight of the decision he had just made caused his shoulders to hang as his finger curled around the trigger. Life wasn't supposed to feel like this. He wasn't afraid to die. His worst fear had already come to fruition. Every story had an ending. There wasn't another man alive who could do what he was about to. End him. He was all G. Men of men. King of kings. If he wanted this all to end today, then he would have to do it himself because no other man had been successful at taking him out of the game. His demise would be at his own hands and then he could finally reunite with his son. God save my soul, he whispered. The unexpected sound at his door saved him from curling his finger on the trigger. But he, it said that the weight of the decision he had just made caused his shoulder to hang as his finger curled around the trigger, so his finger was already curled on the trigger. He looked up, confused, me too. No one knew where he was. He had perched a magnificent chalet in the mountains of Colorado. It was secluded on all sides by dense forests, and his nearest neighbor was a mile down the only road that led into the mountains. Kind of like Matee. He went to the door, opening it cautiously. Zaire stood, cupping his hands in front of his face, blowing hot air into them as he shifted from foot to foot. What up, Carter? What's going on in here, G? Zaire asked, immediately noticing the mist in Carter's eyes and the gun in his hand. Carter's scruffy appearance threw Zaire. He was usually clean-cut and shaven, but today he was rough. The makings of a thick five o'clock shadow coming in. His clothes were wrinkled as if he hadn't changed in days. His eyes were dark with circles underneath. Carter retreated into the cabin and Zaire followed him, looking around the immaculate home. His brow creased in concern when he saw the empty cognac bottle. Where'd a gunfight? Zaire asked, treading lightly with his words. No fight, fam. Done fighting, Carter replied. 
The sadness in his voice and the double entendre behind his words told a story all its own. You know what it's for, Carter admitted as he walked over to the bar and took another bottle of brown down. This time he opted for a glass. He tossed one to Zaire, who caught it out of midair with ease. Nah, it ain't for that, Zaire said. We're built stronger than that, fam. I'ma have this drink with you, though, so you can work that shit out. But I'm your friend, Carter. I ain't too comfortable with the way you looking. I'd be more comfortable if you put the gun up. How'd you find me? Carter asked, respecting the request. He kept the gun tucked in his waistline. You talked for years about retiring in a big cabin in the mountains. This was the dream, bruh. Now it looks like it's become your nightmare, Zaire admitted. Hmm, Carter replied. He walked up to Zaire and poured his drink before pouring his own and taking a seat. He was defeated. They both knew it. He wore his heart on his sleeve. His eyes couldn't conceal his torment. I just gotta end this shit, Zai. I ain't never felt no shit like this, Carter whispered. This time, he knew it was useless. His pain rolled down his face in clear liquid pools of emotion. He leaned over, his elbows resting on his thighs and his head hung low. Zaire's stomach twisted. Carter was breathing, but he wasn't living. He was stagnant, buried under unresolved grief. In all their years of friendship, Zaire had never seen Carter weak. Zaire's conscience weighed heavily on him. He was bringing trouble to Carter's door, and he already had enough of his own. Time heals, big homie, Zaire said. You gotta just endure. Time won't heal this wound, Zai, Carter replied. There's only one person in the world who can relate to the weight that I'm carrying. You're talking about money, right? Because money's son died too. And his wife. His son and his wife, because of your wife, died too. We're, we're talking about money, right? Money? Remember him? Money? The one who we thought were turn, was turning into Mecca? Money? The one who shot up your house, blah, 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 blah. Money, right? No. I can't talk to her, Carter said. That's over. The finality in his tone was shocking. He knew he was half a man without me and more. It was another thing that plagued his heart. She was his Eve, his curse. Okay. She could talk Carter into biting the forbidden apple on her worst day. No. She brought destruction to his life. He couldn't lean on her for support. He never knew how much he had until it was no longer. He envied the working man with the average family. That man got to go home to his wife and child every night. The type of man he had chosen to be dug early graves to the ones he loved. Being the king was a gift and a curse. I know it's... No offense, Zaire, but you don't know shit, Carter said. If Zaire had seen it coming... He would have reacted faster. He would have taken the gun, but it all happened so fast. It was like a light clicked off in Carter's eyes, and Zaire watched as Carter brought the gun from his waistline. Zaire lunged, tackling Carter, but the loud bang in his ear let him know he hadn't stopped anything. Red. Blood. On his hands. On the floor. No! Zaire shouted. What did you do? Fuck! Carter's eyes were still open, but blood covered one side of his face. He groaned. <sighs> Bro, stay with me, Carter. You're going to be good, baby. You're going to be good. Zaire pulled his phone out of his pocket and dialed 911. 
Before the operator could even ask him his emergency, he shouted, I need an ambulance, now! He kept the call connected so the operator could trace her location. He realized his face was wet and wiped his face with the back of his hand to find that it was his own tears. Just hold on, fam. They're coming for you, man. They're coming. They're coming. Zaire sat in the waiting room, rubbing his hands together anxiously as he leaned over in his seat. He hadn't called anyone. Not me and more. Not Monroe. Not even Breeze. He didn't know how to tell them what he had just witnessed. Never in his life did he feel such stress. He was sick. Carter tried to end his own life. Damn, shit was bad. He had been waiting for hours. Carter's blood had dried to a dirty brown in his clothes, but he didn't care. He wasn't leaving until he knew his friend would be okay. It wasn't until this night that he realized how deep their bond ran. They were brothers, not by blood, but the love was just as strong, and to lose Carter would be like losing a piece of himself. Carter was the one who had taught him how to be a man. He taught him how to get money and how to weed out the snakes. He ingrained in him that family came first. Damn, big homie, Zaire thought as he shook his head in disgrace. Ain't it just fortunate and such a coincidence that Justice Carter is giving up and is taking his last drink and has the gun, his fingers crawled around the trigger. Zaire decides that now's the time to go and sacrifice his manhood and, and put his manhood on the line and drop his man card off at the store and just happen to be there to save Carter's life. Ain't that just a coinkydink? Nobody else knew where that nigga lived, but Zaire just happened to remember that Carter said, I want a house, I want a cabin in, in the mountains. Didn't say where, but obviously he meant Colorado. Even though they had only been to Michigan and Miami and probably had only been to Michigan at the point where he was like, I, I want to get a cabin in the mountains. But he immediately knew Colorado. Carter's doctor walked into the room and Zaire tried to read his expression. Was it grim? Hopeful? Zaire couldn't tell. He stood. Is he? The bullet grazed his left temple. It's a pretty deep graze, but the bullet didn't penetrate, the doctor explained. Why was there so much blood, Zaire questioned. Any gunshot wound is going to give you profuse bleeding. He lost quite a bit, but we gave him a transfusion and treated the wound. So he's good? Zaire asked in disbelief. He had seen the blood with his own eyes. He had heard the shot. He saw the sign, and it opened up his eyes. He saw the sign. Gunshots were blasting. How is Carter lasting? He saw the sign. And it was Carter pulling a gun before his eyes. He thought Carter was going to give up. Luckily, Carter was in a good shot. He missed his one shot. He will be. He's very lucky. A fraction of the inch to the right and it would have killed him, the doctor said. Like I said, it's always an inch to the right. Always. Zaire watched the doctor begin to walk away and stopped him. Doc, I want to make sure something like this doesn't happen again. We have a counselor set up to speak with Mr. Jones as soon as he's awake, the doctor informed him. Nah, we need a little bit more than that, Zaire admitted, his chest feeling hollow as he thought, devastated by the night's circumstance. Did they mean his chest feeling hollow at the thought? 
I think they meant that. What did you have in mind? The world came into focus as Carter's eyes opened. He grimaced as he felt an intense pressure in his head. Mm, he groaned as he attempted to sit up. He tried to turn on his side, but was halted when he felt his left wrist jerk in restraint. For the first time, he noticed that he was bound to the bed. His right arm was free, but his left kept him in place. He pulled hard against it and then looked around the sterile room. I'm in the hospital, he thought. He reached up and felt his bandaged head. The previous night came rushing back to him. The door opened and Carter saw Zaire walk in. For the first time, he didn't know what to do or what to say. All the power, all the influence, all the money meant nothing. He was just a man with a broken soul. What is this? Carter asked, referencing the restraints. I saw something last night that I never thought I'd see, Zaire said. You need some time to regroup. Get your head right. Where am I? Carter asked. This is the psychiatric ward of the hospital. I had you committed under suicide watch, Zaire said. Carter's jaw clenched and anger danced in his eyes. You just need a little time, my G. A little rest, Zaire said. I didn't call nobody. I'm the only one who knows you're here. For that fact, Carter was grateful. I'm good, Zai. Shit got out of hand last night, but I can handle it. Come on, get the fucking doctor and take this shit off. It's feeling too much like handcuffs for me, Carter reasoned. You can't leave here until I sign you out, Carter, Zaire said. And I'm not signing anything until I'm sure you've had time to clear your mind. Last night wasn't you. I understand the pressure. It don't feel right going back to Flint thinking you're going to do something reckless again. Carter looked at Zaire proudly. It was a full circle moment. Zaire had absorbed Carter's philosophy like a sponge, and now he was the one standing strong while Carter was buckling in grief. I'm back. I'm fine. The alcohol and the silence, it... No explanation needed, fam. I was there with you. I know what you lost. What we all lost, Zaire said in a low tone as his eyes drifted off in thought momentarily. I'm only signing you out if you agree to get help. Someone living, a therapist or a cleaning lady, hell, a stripper. Carter chuckled at that one. Zaire continued, anyone to keep an eye out on you. Carter nodded. You have my word. Let me go get one of the doctors to come and check you out. Move you off this floor, Zaire stated. He turned to the door. Yo, Zaire, Carter called. Zaire turned. Why are you in Colorado anyway? You didn't come to my door to peel me off the floor. You need something? Zaire remembered what had brought him to Carter's door in the first place, and he was filled with sorrow. Nah, I'm good. Everything's smooth. I just wanted to see how you were holding up, he said. Glad I got there when I did. Carter knew him well enough to know that he was lying, but respected him too much to call him out on it. Yeah, me too, Carter replied. Carter watched Zaire walk out of the door and then lay back on the bed, closing his eyes. The physical pain he was in was excruciating, but he was grateful for it. It served as a distraction from the emotional war that was waging within him. He didn't know how to feel. He was angry that Zaire interfered, but filled with regret for taking the actions in the first place. Carter knew that if Zaire let him stay in the seclusion of the mountains, eventually the depression he felt would surmount to the point where he would put himself out of his misery. And next time, he wouldn't miss. He hated to admit it, 
but therapy was essential to him right now. He needed to hear someone tell him that it was okay to keep living. He knew he wouldn't divulge all the details, but just having another person around him daily would make it easier to cope. Carter didn't sleep that night. He stayed up, mind racing, heart pounding, head banging as he gazed out of the hospital window. The amber and orange hues that appear with the rising sun captivated him. He had never taken the time to truly appreciate the marvel of it, and he realized he would have missed it had Zaire not shown up at his door. His heart and soul had never been so conflicted. His grief was tormenting him. At that very moment, he just wanted to hold his wife. He wanted to touch her, to smell her, to hear her voice. Damn, I miss you, Ma, he thought. He couldn't help but wonder where she was. Was she hurting? How was she doing with it all? Did she need him? A rap at the door interrupted his thoughts, and he turned to find Zaire entering with the woman. Her brown skin was flawless and accentuated only by the faintest shade of pink blush. Her long hair was pulled back in a slick ponytail that fell down her back. She was thin, with a model's frame. Her beauty spoke for her before she ever opened her lips, and Carter appreciated it as a fine work of art. In all her splendor, he couldn't help but notice her eyes. They were plain, just a dark shade of brown, but the smile that hid behind them took his breath away. Carter, this is Samantha Dean, Zaire said, introducing him. Hello, Carter, she said with a smile as she crossed the room. I'm in psychiatric care. I wanted to meet you. Zaire said you have some things you need help with sorting out. I'd be more than happy to help you out with. Psychiatric care, Carter questioned. I'm not. Crazy? Samantha finished warm. Well, good, because I can be sometimes. She chuckled. <laughs> One of us should have a level head, no? He smirked at her wit. Look, Miss Dean. My friends call me Sam, she replied. We're friends? Carter questioned with an amused look on his face. We could be. I'm a good listener, she said. She walked closer to him, invading his space with her Chanel perfume. She reached up, smiling at him with her eyes as she checked the bandage on his head. You're in pain, she whispered. It's okay, he replied. I wasn't talking about the gunshot wound, she said. She removed the dressing and retrieved a new one from the cabinet in his room. She tended quickly to his injury, then continued. Let me help you. I'm not into all that psycho shit, Ma. I'm good. I had a moment. Psychiatry isn't always about being crazy. Sometimes life just becomes too much. You lost your child. That could eat away at any man, especially a good one. I'm here if you need anything. Even if you don't want to talk about that. Maybe you need someone to talk to about the weather. A deeper laugh escaped him this time. <laughs> the weather? The weather, she confirmed. She went into her white jacket and came out with the card. You can call me anytime, day or night. Call me if you need someone to talk to. Call me satisfaction guaranteed. No, nothing? All right, cool. Carter didn't respond, but he accepted the card and watched as she walked out the room. When she was gone, he looked at Zaire. You couldn't bring it to the house, my nigga? Got me in here assed out in the hospital gown, Carter said. Zaire chuckled. My fault, he replied. You know how to pick him, don't you? 
Carter said. No man could be that close to a woman like that and think about anything other than living. I figured you'd appreciate the aesthetic, Zaire shot back with an amused smirk. Let's get out of this, motherfucker. It was good to see you, Zai. Real good, Carter said as they locked hands and pulled each other in to show love. It was an unspoken thank you, an unneeded appreciation that he extended for Zaire saving his life. Always, bruh. Always, Zaire responded. He turned to see Sam's car pulling up to the cabin. He felt uneasiness in the pit of his stomach. He wished he could turn back the hands of time to fix things before they ever got so out of control. But life didn't work that way. I'm out of here. Keep your head, he said. Sam walked up the stairs, carrying a box of her things, bypassing Zaire. See you around, Mr. Rich, she said. He didn't respond, and she made her way up the walkway to Carter. He never said the job required me to live here, she said with a bright smile. She looked around the massive, snow-covered chalet. I could get used to this. Come on in, he said. I'll show you to your room. Breeze walked into the hospital, her heart beating out of her chest. Something's not right, she thought. She was indeed pregnant. She had peed on ten different sticks to confirm it. It was times like this she wished she still had her mother. Why couldn't she just be a regular girl, with a regular life, with a regular man and parents who were alive and well? Breeze was terrified. She was with child and she was bleeding. That didn't quite add up, and she had no one to call for guidance. She had contacted her doctor, and he had told her there was most likely no need to worry. A little implantation bleeding, he had said, but Breeze's intuition was telling her otherwise. She hadn't told Zaire yet, so she couldn't call him. Besides, he was off visiting Carter anyway. He couldn't get to her right now, even if he wanted to. So she did the only thing she could think of and went to the emergency room. With every step she took, she could feel the bleeding get worse. It was like life was slipping out of her. Excuse me, I need to see someone. I'm pregnant and I'm having some bleeding, Bree said. Her mouth felt like cotton and she was hot, so hot. Even in the dead of winter, she was burning up. I'm sorry, I just need to sit for a minute. Breeze turned to find a chair, but before she could even take one step, everything went black. She awoke on an ultrasound table. A nurse stood on one side while a man in a white lab coat and scrub sat in a chair on the other. Welcome back, the man said. I'm Adam. I'm an ultrasound tech. We're going to have a look at your baby. The nurse is going to jot down some information so we could actually get you checked into our system. Okay? Breeze nodded, slightly dazed. What's your name? The technician asked. Breeze Rich, she whispered. Is my baby okay? I noticed blood. Well, let me take a look while you give the nurse all your info, he said. He sounded happy, optimistic, confident. That's a good thing, right? She wondered. Not for you, Breeze. Your baby dead. Matter of fact, your baby dead and a zombie. Your baby dead and a zombie and is currently trying to eat its way out your body and that's why you collapse. Your baby dead and a zombie is trying to eat its way out your body and its twins, nigga. The calmness of his voice soothed her. He took out a cold, clear gel and applied it to her lower abdomen as Breeze gave the woman the details she needed. Just between me and you, that gel is also an excellent excellent lube and i mean like if you're in the room where they're doing like they have the leg 
Breeze was so nervous, she held her breath as the ultrasound technician placed a scanner on her stomach. He rolled it all over the gel as the image of the inside of her uterus appeared on the screen. Breeze gripped the sides of the table she lay on. Tension filled her body. Okay, we're going to do a vaginal ultrasound. Okay, Breeze? He asked suddenly. Is something wrong? She asked. I just need to get a better view, he said. He put her feet in stirrups and spread her legs as he stuck a long wand into her womb. Just relax. Try to stay still, he coached. Doom filled her body. Although the tech kept telling her everything was fine, she just sensed that something was wrong. Do you see anything? She asked, her voice cracking as a tear escaped her. The wand slid out. Silence. Could you go get the doctor? The tech said to the nurse. There was no alarm in his voice, and yet Breeze's stomach was in knots. A woman came in and washed her hands. She was moving so slowly that Breeze thought, It can't be anything bad. She'll be rushing. She'll be moving faster if something was wrong. Hello, Breeze. I'm going to take another peek, she said. Breeze nodded because she was unable to speak. Fear seized her. The doctor put on a pair of gloves, wrapped a plastic covering around the wand, and put it back inside of Breeze. No matter how gentle they were, each time they invaded her, it hurt. Minutes felt like hours until finally the doctor pulled it out and snapped off her gloves. Breeze, you're experiencing an ectopic pregnancy. There's no heartbeat. The fetus is stuck in one of your fallopian tubes. We have to remove it or it may rupture. Remove it. Fetus. No heartbeat. It wasn't an it. This was her baby. This is supposed to be her and Zaire's first child. Are there any other options? Is there any way to save my baby? This is a baby you're talking about. You talk like it's a thing. It's a person. It's my little person, she said, becoming emotional. I'm sorry. This is the only option. If we don't operate, it'll rupture and you will bleed out, the doctor said. Call the OR and let them know I need a room. Stat. Everything was happening so fast. She was being stripped, put in a hospital gown. Her hair was covered, all while she cried. Before she knew it, she was on her back being rushed down the hospital halls. One, two, three, four, five, six. She counted the passing ceiling lights as they rushed to the operating room. The chill of the room when they entered immediately made the hair stand up on her arms. Her teeth chattered. They lifted her onto a metal table. The room smelled. It smelled so much like nothing that it reeked. A mask went over her face. Okay, Breeze. Count down for me from ten, the doctor instructed her. Breeze wanted to slap the woman's smiling face. What the hell was she smiling about? This is a tragedy. She was about to close her eyes with a baby in her womb but wake up without one. This isn't right, she thought. But before she could even protest, the anesthetic put her to sleep. When Breeze awoke, she felt an emptiness that she had never experienced. You're going to be fine. Your surgery went very well. We removed your left fallopian tube, she heard her doctor say. She felt the woman putting the blood pressure jacket on her arm. What are my chances of getting pregnant again, she asked. It was then that the doctor's friendly expression changed. Breeze saw the look of hesitation. The look of uncertainty. The look of fear. What are my chances? Breeze demanded. She didn't know why she was angry at the doctor. This wasn't her fault. About 15%, the doctor replied. 
but there are options. We're coming out with new technology every day. Leave, Bree said as she turned her head to stare out of the window. Miss Rich. Get out, she shouted. The doctor and the nurse retreated from the room, leaving her to have one good, long cry. She knew she had to get it all out of her system. Zaire would be home in a couple of days. He couldn't know about this. She wasn't going to tell him that he had chosen a defective wife. Really? She was so glad she hadn't told him about the pregnancy yet. He didn't deserve this type of disappointment. The pain she felt was suffocating. No, she would shoulder this burden alone, and by the time he returned, she would put on that same smile the doctor had given to her. She was going to lock this secret deep down inside and pray for a miracle. Y'all just couldn't go the rest of this series without fucking over Breeze again, could you? Just, why not? Like, let's make it so she can never have a baby. Yeah, Mia Moore's baby got murdered, and Lena's baby and Lena got murdered. But Breeze didn't even get to have a baby before, you know, she had an ectopic pregnancy that just caused her chance of pregnancy to drop to 15% ever again. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Uh, leave a review on Podchaser, copy and paste that into uh, Apple Podcasts, copy and paste that into Good Pods. Thank you to everyone who's checking us out on Good Pods and on Podchaser. I greatly appreciate it. Apple Podcasts, y'all like. Um, you could donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast or at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast. Um, you can also go to the Good Pods app and there's a tip jar there. All tips will go towards buying books for this show and uh, movies for hindsight. Again, thank you so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm Hodge Later. Peace. Outro to Ratchet Book Club is by that kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast.